So, did you have a Merry Christmas? Are you kidding me? That was the best Christmas ever. Really? Babe, I had a smile on my face from the moment I woke up. They like their presents, right? Dana loves her playhouse. <laughs> you weren't up too late building it, were you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a breeze. My family didn't ruin your day, did they? No. I love that we hosted this year. Mary, traffic was awful. Three hours. Whoa, you can't wait. <laughs> you sure? Honestly, babe, they made my day. <laughs> hey, Rach, is Cameron sick? And how about you, the hostess with the most, is taking care of everybody? How do you do it? I guess I was just full of Christmas cheer. I don't know. <laughs> I had a perfect day. Me too. I mean, this is gonna sound corny, but... I don't know if it was you and the kids. You're not adopted. She's not adopted. Why would you tell her that? Or the family being here. But I definitely felt some Christmas magic today. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Come on, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Best Christmas ever? <laughs> Best Christmas ever. Yeah, that's fun. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to those of you who are in the room and those of you who are at other places uh, watching this on video. It's really good to be church together with you. Um, I want to also just pause and say thanks to those who make these services accessible. Uh, they're translated into Spanish. There's somebody in the room back behind the screen who translates them into Spanish as we're doing these. And then they're also translated uh, American Sign Language. Uh, Jocelyn's been doing this for like decades as a volunteer in her team. So praise God for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. God's word goes out, it doesn't come back empty, so we want that word to go out. We want it to be accessible for everybody. Uh, we want people to hear this because we need that word. We, we need that truth. What's on your list of things that you feel like you need to do to make this the best Christmas ever? That video, that's what it was called, the best Christmas ever, and they, you know, they kind of go through faking it and saying, well, no, it was great, it was awesome, even though then they kind of get the behind-the-scenes glimpse to show that it was far from perfect. And we all laugh because on a certain level, we can all relate to, to one part of it or another. And, and it connects us in a way that um, reminds us that something's missing a lot of times from these seasons. That We turn the calendar to December and here we go into Christmas and we say it's the Christmas season and it's the hustle and the bustle and, and the push. So what's on your list? What, 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 whether you write a list out, some of you do, you're very organized, or you just kind of mentally make a list and say, these are the things that need to happen this Christmas in order for it to be a good Christmas, much less the best Christmas ever. What, what are the things that you want to do? I mean, let, let's just take a quick survey. Who wants to have the best Christmas ever? Just raise your hand if you do. I mean, who wouldn't? I got my hand up. That would be awesome. So what are you going to do to accomplish that goal? 
Is it possible that the lists that we create are incomplete? There's nothing wrong with the presents and the trees and the family gatherings and the traveling and the, and the hanging out together and the figgy pudding and the eggnog and, and, and all of it. There's nothing wrong with all the great traditions. Not here to, to slam the traditions in order to point you to something else. I'm just saying there should be something else probably on the top of the list that too many of us are tempted to miss on a regular basis. And I guess one of the ways I would phrase it is to say we need to find communion with God and not just some sort of, you know, uh, uh, understanding of God that's, that's weak or manufactured. I'm talking about the creator who created you. I'm talking about the fact that our creator already has that very special connection with us as the highlight of his creation, he says. As human beings, as the human race. We were created by a creator. And not only that, but this creator, because he loves us so much, sent us a savior. Sent us his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God is showing up for us. He's showing up in ways that we need. And we need it to be top of our list. Because here's the deal, and maybe you've already learned this. If you check off all the other boxes on the list to make it the best Christmas ever, but don't have communion with God on the list and can't check that box, it won't be. God's wired us up in such a way that we can't be fully satisfied until we find that communion with him. And so we'll celebrate communion at the end of this service as another opportunity for you to hopefully not just go through the motions of getting in line, of getting the bread, of taking the very, very tiny little sip of wine or grape juice and saying, well, I've done it. I've gone to church and I did the communion thing and check that off the list. It's not what I'm talking about. It's not what God's talking about. It's not what his word points us to. He's pointing us to something deeper. So let's take a closer look at Christmas so we can have the best Christmas ever. (laughs) More than that, it's not just the best Christmas ever, but to to be able to live your best life, as, as our culture is popularly kind of phrased it these days. Are you living your best life? And if you are, how do you get there? What's on the list of things that need to happen in order for you to live your best life? Is it possible that our lists are incomplete? Is it possible that we're missing the most important thing? Is it possible in our, in our, in our uh, continuous ongoing efforts to chase the wind and find everything this world has to give us that it won't be enough? As we look behind the stable doors, if you will, of a Christmas nativity scene and, and start to look at the actual story itself instead of the romanticized version, we start to see some of the things that are happening. And I want to point you on the second Sunday of Advent to the things that happened centuries before Jesus was ever born because they're absolutely relevant for us. One of the first things we'll notice when we peer behind the stable doors and take a closer look at Christmas is today, December 4th, 2022 is this is not Christmas I'm not going to be that guy who gets all upset but you shouldn't sing Christmas carols tell Christmas we sing carols here you shouldn't have put out your nativity scene till Christmas day we got a nativity scene out in the parking lot here in West Des Moines and a whole bunch of other stuff too we got the lights on we, 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 we got the whole thing going but underneath that I want you to look closer at Christmas and realize today's Advent This is the Advent season. Wherever you are, turn to the person next to you and say, Happy Advent. Just go ahead and say that. It sounds weird, right? Because we're not used to it, but we should be. Advent is a season. The word Advent literally means arrival or coming. And in this 
in this sense, in a biblical sense, it's the advent or the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ on this earth, which is a major deal, which happened at Christmas. The infinite becomes finite, the divine becomes human, God becomes one of us, his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's not just a prophet like Moses or Elijah or one of the others who came to faithfully proclaim God's word, but Jesus is not just another one of them. Jesus is everything the Bible says. The fullness of God's deity dwells bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting to celebrate on Christmas. But this season of Advent is really important. It's a hope-filled season. And I don't want you to just skip right through it. So we have the Advent wreath off to my left, over to your right. And each Sunday we light another candle and it gets us closer and closer to the celebration of Christmas. Maybe you have Advent calendars at home and every day you open up another panel and we're getting closer and closer and it builds the anticipation. That's good, because it points us to this deeper truth, that we're living in a season of hope. The Bible clearly says, if you already have what you hope for, you don't have hope anymore. Your hope's been realized. Now it's, now it's graduated to something else. But there's something about being people of hope. That's the name that we put out on the wall of this church. That's, that's who we are. We are a church of hope. It means, by definition, we don't have it yet. We haven't realized it fully yet, and that's okay. In fact, God is for that. God is for seasons of hope. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will write through the living word of God, of all the things that you could strive for, of all the things on your list, live for these three, the greatest gifts that any human being could ever experience, faith and hope and love, the things that bring us into communion with God. What does it mean to have hope? I mean a Bible-based hope. Micah, the prophet, says in Micah chapter 7, verse 7, As for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. Everybody say hope. hope. I watch and hope for the Lord. Shout it out. Say hope. hope. Yeah, it's just good to just let it out sometimes. That's, that's what we need. That's what we need. And just because we're a church of hope doesn't mean we're experiencing it. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to grab this. I watch and hope. Micah says, I wait for God my Savior. You say, well, that's easy for a prophet to say. That's easy for somebody who's got a job, who knows what he's here for, who has purpose, who has direction, who has meaning, who's probably living his best life, who's probably got a major-sized family, and they, 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 they have big family dinners together and all sorts of friends. Easy to say I've got hope when things are going really well. Back up to the beginning of this same chapter, and Micah says, how miserable I am. And yet I still have hope. Well, that's odd, isn't it? That's not the way the world sees hope. The way the world sees hope is I'll start to hope for something when I see, it, when, when I see the results start to come in. I'll start to hope. Otherwise, I'm going to look like the fool. Otherwise, I'm going to look like I'm, I'm wishing for something that isn't going to come true. Otherwise, I'm going to set myself up for failure and major disappointment. Micah says how miserable I am. He gets into some of the details. Godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left on the earth. Maybe that's how it feels to you sometimes. Hopefully not quite that extreme. But Micah's not kidding. He was miserable. He was not living his best life. Maybe that's how you feel when you watch the news. Maybe like me, sometimes I watch it and I say, I don't even know if I recognize this world anymore. I, I, I don't even know... Well, it, it's, it's anxiety producing. It's hard to take it in. So you kind of have to, you know, take it in moderation. It, it's very difficult. 
It, it, maybe, you, maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe you look at your relationships. You, you look at your financial insecurity. You, you look at your job prospects. You, you, you look at what you're up against, all the stresses that you feel and you carry in this particular season of your life. Maybe it's your health, physical or mental, and, and you're struggling with that, and, and you're worried about that, and it's overwhelming. How can I have hope when I'm in the midst of carrying all, this, all these burdens and the darkness is so dark? I'll start to hope when I see the light. I'll start to hope when the light breaks through. I'll start to hope when things get better. But that's not hope. Micah's saying, I'm miserable, and yet I have hope. And if you read through the Old Testament, which you'll be invited to do next year, next year we're going to read the whole Holy Bible in a year. We're going to have a New Testament track, which is going to be easy. We'll preach on that every Sunday. We'll go through the whole New Testament. But for those of you who are gunners, and this is Iowa, I know I'm preaching to a lot of gunners. We're going to give you the Old Testament track in addition to the New Testament track so you can cover every word and every verse of the Bible in one year. We'll give you a reading plan. We'll have Bible studies. We'll have hope group uh, materials and resources that you can do with your small groups. Uh, We'll have individual devotions, devotions for your family. We'll have video podcasts that will come out that will help guide you along the way. We want you to know God's word because God's word goes out and it doesn't come back empty. It's transformational. And one of the things it does is it produces real and lasting hope. Which is so often and tragically missing from the list of things that we think we need to do in order to live our best life, in order to have our best Christmas ever. We have to put, let Christmas wait just a little bit. Let this be the season of Hope-filled anticipation. Let this be Advent. Let this be the time when it hasn't happened yet. But we still realize the power of God's hope. I'm not talking about putting your hope in things that aren't worth putting your hope in, but putting your hope in the God of creation who makes his promises and keeps his promises every single time. Like this one, two chapters before. God speaks through the prophet Micah to some people who are getting complacent and apathetic and they've wandered away from God. They've started to trust their own human ability to fix everything that's wrong in the world. They've tried to trust their own affluence and they start to think that living for affluence and having a perfect, easy, comfortable life is the ultimate goal in life. They've missed the whole point of scripture which says the ultimate goal of your life is faith and hope and love. Not having more, consuming more. Uh, getting more buzzes, having more pleasure in a human sort of way, it won't satisfy. So God points us to something deeper. And he speaks through his prophets because if you read the first six chapters of Micah, chapter seven, Micah's kind of reflecting on what God just prophesied through him. The first six chapters are God speaking words of very strong warning to his people because he loves them in the same way that God loves us. And so he's not going to pull back on, you know what, if y'all don't think that's sin anymore, it's not sin anymore. God says, no, 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 if it's sin, it's sin. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you this. Because if you continue to do things that hurt you and hurt other people and hurt the world around you and cause this world to turn more and more upside down and the darkness to settle in more, the first six chapters of Micah, if I could summarize them, I would say it's God hates sin. He absolutely despises the things that we do. I don't want to just talk about them, and I don't want to just talk about you. I want to talk about us, me too. 
God hates the things we do that hurt us, that hurt other people, that hurt this world. Absolutely, he never stops loving us. Biblically, that's clear. But he absolutely hates sin, with a capital H-A-T-E-S. Hates sin. Absolutely. God is not in the sin-blessing business. God is anti-sin. And he is because he loves us. It's because he doesn't want to see his people overrun by the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians, which history will tell us is going to happen. He calls them to change the way they think, to start living for something bigger than themselves, to start living for something bigger than their own comfort and affluence and getting more and consuming more and having more. He calls them to something deeper. He calls them to what he created us to live for as his highlight of creation. He says, look, I'm warning you, turn around, change the way you think, which is the literal definition of repentance. Stop going the way you're going, turn around by changing your attitude. Start living for something more. Modify, edit your list of the things that need to happen to make this the best life ever. And so the prophecies come. God speaks through, no, go back. God speaks through Micah and says, but you, O Bethlehem, a ruler will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Bethlehem's a sleepy little town outside of, Bethel, outside of the big holy city of the capital city of Jerusalem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But don't underestimate yourselves. God is announcing the birth of Jesus. And he's not only saying it's going to happen, there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come, who's going to be the Savior of the world. He's saying exactly where it's going to start. It's pretty amazing, but it's not just where, it's, it's how. He says, this baby will be born of a virgin. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. So here's where it's going to happen, Bethlehem. Here's how it's going to happen. There's going to be a virgin. She's going to give birth to a baby, which the world says is impossible, but the Bible says with God nothing is impossible. And so this baby's going to be born, and in a way, when you think about it, it makes sense. God's going to make sure everybody knows, don't follow the false Messiah. If this Messiah wasn't born in Bethlehem, wasn't born of a virgin, isn't a son, isn't called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So again, he's not just another prophet. This is God becoming one of us. If that's not who this person is who's claiming to be the Messiah, then this person is not the Messiah. God's making it very clear so people don't mistake who God is sending in to this world to be the savior of the world. It's where, Bethlehem, it's how, there'll be a virgin, there'll be a son, his name will be Emmanuel. It's who, that he'll be of the house and lineage of David, the king, who was the hero of Israel from just three centuries before when Micah proclaims these prophecies around 700 B.C. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So he'll be an ancestor of David. My goodness. Just for those who are skeptical of the whole Jesus thing or think that the story of Christmas is just some sort of shallow throwaway story in the New Testament, nobody who's read the Bible says that because the connections are deep, the roots are deep. Add to that this, that Micah and Isaiah are making these prophecies not like a month before Jesus is born. Hey, you know, the light's starting to shine. We, 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 can, we can see it. We can feel it. It's happening. And so by the end of this month, there's going to be a baby born. 
And it's going to be like this, and he'll be born of a virgin, and, and he'll be born in Bethlehem. And they could see that everything was kind of mapping out that way. Caesar declared a census, and so Joseph's going to have to go because he's of the house and lineage of David back to David's town, to Bethlehem, in order to be enrolled in the census. And, and so they're like, oh, okay, it's starting to look like maybe something's happening, so now we'll start to prophesy about it. Do you know when Micah and Isaiah prophesied? 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The birth announcement comes. Not just there's going to be a Messiah. Here's where he's going to be born. Here's how it's going to happen. Here's his ancestry. Here's the details that you cannot fix if you want to fake it as the Messiah. If Jesus is just a scam artist and he comes along and says, hey, you know what? I want to be the Messiah. So I'm just going to make up some things. I was born in Bethlehem. No, you weren't. Everybody knows you were born in Nazareth. That's your hometown. Unless, of course, it was, which is why nobody ever objected. That he was born in Bethlehem. You'll be born of a virgin. Now that's a trick. That you can't kind of redo after you've been born. You're going to be called Emmanuel. You're going to be able to control the, the names that people gave to you when you were born. That's also a trick. You're going you're gonna to be able to understand. You're going to be able to say, I'm an ancestor of King David, even if you aren't. Then there's this prophecy, not just where and how and who, but this is my favorite one, why? To bring the power and the light of God into the darkness of this world. Wait for it. God says to his people, through the prophet Isaiah this time, it's coming. I picked out this picture in the background on purpose because the sun hasn't risen yet. It's right before dawn, though. It's Advent. Instead of rushing to Christmas, stop. Soak in and put your, put, put your roots down into the season of hope. Be, be, be immersed in it. Let God's hope... Stop waiting for everything to get right in this fallen, upside-down world where so many things are wrong. Start, stop waiting for, for all the justice to break through, for all the injustice before you can trust or believe in God's promises. That's not hope. The people who walk in darkness, who are having a struggle, and maybe that's you today. Likely that's you today in some level of your life. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. So this is God's word for you. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, like our world feels sometimes, a light will shine. And it won't just shine because human beings figure out how to fix it. It'll shine because the creator of all things, whose word is timeless and true, this God promises that the day is coming when a Messiah, a Savior will come. And more specifically, a child will be born to us. A son is given to us. The government, not just some national government, with all due respect, it's way bigger than that. It's an eternal government. Governments come and go. Have you read history? This is an eternal government. This is the kingdom of heaven's government. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you feel the hope? These words are for you. Oh yeah, I know, contextually, they're for the people of Israel living in this particular time that Isaiah is prophesying to. But God makes promises and God keeps promises. And over and over and over in the totality of Scripture, God says to us, I have a plan for you, a future for you, to give you a hope 
that's well-placed, that's worth you putting your faith in. Not a hope in, gee, I hope my team wins this game. Not a hope and I hope the USA soccer team beats the Dutch. They didn't. That's a bummer. Not, not, not in, I hope the Cubs win a World Series again. Probably not in my lifetime. <laughs> hope in God. Why is that important? It's hope in a God who keeps his promises. Every single time. Advent isn't just waiting for Jesus to be born. We know he's already been born. It's also, do you know we're living in a season of Advent right now? It's been going on for almost 2,000 years. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again. It would be a huge mistake if you concluded, like too many people do, that, you know, I'm checking the calendar, my watch here. Jesus hasn't come back for almost 2,000 years. He's not coming. It would be a huge mistake. Because if you read the track record of prophecies and promises that are made in God's word, every single one is realized. Every single one is kept. It's not like God hits 90% or 95%. It's 100%. You say, but it's been so long. It was 700 years for them. You say, yeah, but it, some of these things, the world is so scary right now. It's worse than it's ever been. It's not. It was worse in Micah and Isaiah's day, around 700 B.C. It's no comparison how much worse it was. How corrupt things had gotten, how dark, how immoral, how lost, how far people had wandered away from God. We're on our way, but we're not there yet. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Says me, God says to us today. My word on that. You have my word on that, God's word on that. Now that's hope. Now your hope is well placed. You say, yeah, but it's still really scary. It's like the kid on the diving board. Were you this kid once? You get to the edge of the diving board and you realize the next step I'm about to take is going to be my last. <laughs> uh, it's going to be the end of me because there's no more diving board on my next step. And this is it. And there's my dad in my case waiting in the deep end with his arms up whenever he could when he had waited jump I'll catch you and in my mind my thought was I'm going to need something a little more than you just saying you'll catch me because in my mind I was so scared oh I'm the only one who was scared right I know some of you were born swimmers right out of the womb you're swimming and you know you're just champion Olympic level swimmers well, we're happy for you but the rest of us the rest of us, that first time on the edge of the diving board, absolute intimidation and fear. Because you look down from that high dive and you see how far below the water is. And then you calculate how deep the water is. And you realize it's about like five of you, how high you are, and that you're going to be succumbed. You know, you're, you're going to be absolutely a goner when you jump in this water. And here's my dad, jump, I'll catch you. What if I land on your head and we both drown? But you know, all these things are running through my head. All these terrible things that could go wrong. And that's the way a lot of us live. And there's our Heavenly Father. Take a leap of faith. I got you. I got you, child. I've got you. Jump. You know what did it for me? It's when my dad reminded me of our history. 
I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, God says, the place of your slavery. So when I make a promise to you, when I prophesy to you about something that's going to happen that hasn't happened yet, and you start to lose faith in that, you better remember my history with you. You better remember my history with this world. You better remember that I'm the God who keeps his promises. My dad said to me, Mike, have I ever, he was kind of mad now, (laughs) kind of like God speaking through the prophet Micah. I really don't like your sinful, fearful attitude right here. He says, Mike, have I ever let you drown before? (laughs) That's an excellent point. I probably am not going to die. I can take this leap of faith, listen to this, because I can trust my dad, who has a history with me, keeping his promises. So now listen to your heavenly father. My light will break through your darkness. And if you put your hope in anything less... You're not going to live your best life. But if you put your hope in that promise from me, your heavenly father, who has a track record with this world of always keeping every single one of his promises, you're going to have the best Christmas ever, even if you're all alone. Or you say you are, but you're not because you have communion with God. You're going to have the best Christmas ever, even if relationships are falling apart, even if you're grieving the death of a loved one since last Christmas, and you wonder, how can we do it without him or her around the Christmas dinner table? Even if you're looking face-to-face with your own concerns about your physical or mental well-being, you can have the best Christmas ever. Not just someday when you get there. Not just someday when you arrive at the time of celebration. But in this season of Advent, in this time of hope-filled expectation, where your faith is strengthened and it grows, you say, oh, oh, that's fine. That takes care of the fear. But what about the wait? What about how long? God gives you the script. It's all over the Psalms over and over again. Like this verse, Psalm 13, 2. God says through his living word that there are going to be times in your life when you want to cry out to me and say, yeah, but how long? I know I can take this leap of faith. I know I can trust you. I know that you'll keep your promises, but why haven't you done it yet? Would it be that hard, God, for you to just come and bring justice for all the injustice? Would it be that wrong for you to break through with your light right now? Why are you making us wait? God speaks through the same prophet Isaiah. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I see things you don't see. The same way that a parent sees things a child doesn't see. The child says, why do I have to go to bed and go to sleep? That's the most cruel and unusual proclamation of authority that I've ever heard in my life. Why? How come? Because I see things you don't see. And I know things you don't know, child. And you're going to have to trust me on this. It's a season of Advent and a season of waiting, God says, because I love you and I want you to grow in faith. And you won't do it if I just am your genie who grants all of your wishes exactly the way you want them, when you want them. Do you have this kind of depth in your spirituality and your walk with God? Or do you need a fairy godmother, somebody who just, you know, waves a wand and everything's perfect? Well, again, that would be mistaking the point of life in this fallen world. We're here to learn faith and hope and how to live it out in in peace and joy and love for, for the people around us, for the world around us. To find joy and peace even when our circumstances are less than. Now that's hope that's worth holding on to. 
But still, if I'm going to be honest as I'm writing this sermon, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that's great. But honestly, impatience is something I struggle with. Maybe you do too. And waiting, man, it's boring sometimes. Like this poor young woman who got Taylor Swift tickets after being on the phone for 62 hours. (laughs) And then she finally got to the concert early because she didn't want to miss a thing. But she got there a little too early, if you know what I mean. And now she's falling asleep. Once the concert comes, man, it's going to be great. But the waiting, I know, it can be boring. You get caught in a traffic jam. You, You get stuck in line for an hour and a half just to get a table for dinner. So that you can have the great food and you can just almost taste it. But the waiting, the, oh, the waiting, it can be so hard sometimes. Yeah, but what happens to us in those hard times? What happens to our character, to, to our strength? What happens to the marathon runner who, who trains? Have you ever seen somebody who says, I'm just going to run a marathon. Are you going to train? Nah, I'm pretty athletic. I'm just going to go there, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going I'm to run with those guys from Kenya, you know, at the front of the line. And, and then I'm just, with true grit, I'm just going to hold on to the end and I'm going to be on national TV the whole time. And then you go and you do it and you say, I didn't train. I didn't prepare. I didn't have an Advent season before the party, before the celebration, before the event. Advent's important. Don't rush to Christmas. Even in times of suffering, God wants to use those to strengthen us, to deepen our relationship with him. I know waiting is boring. Trust me, I know. But it's worth it. Waiting is also intimidating sometimes and nerve-wracking, like this poor woman who's in the waiting room at a hospital waiting for a loved one to come out of surgery and not sure how it's going to go. Maybe you've been there. Or something like that. You worry about people you love. You wish you had answers right now. Or even personally, you go to the doctor and you get a test that, you know, your life is basically going to change depending on how it comes out radically and completely. And then the doctor says, we'll get that test result to you in about five days. That's why they call us patients. You know, so we can wait and wait. Probably won't do that one at 11. If we're going to be honest about it, waiting is boring and waiting is nerve-wracking and worrisome. But if we're going to be honest about it, waiting is also faith-strengthening and hope-rewarding. It's a picture of my wife in Cleveland back in 2016 at about 2 in the morning in the baseball stadium there. Right after the Chicago Cubs had just won the World Series after waiting for 108 years. We waited and waited, those of us who grew up on the north side of Chicago. We waited and we waited, and my wife took a pillowcase and a blue Cubs blue Sharpie and wrote, it happened on the pillowcase, which took a lot of faith. Because she wrote that not after we won the World Series. We, it's my, I'm on the Cubs. (laughs) The team I cheer for won the World Series. She wrote that before we got to Cleveland. And she did because all around Wrigley Field that year, it was a good year. The Cubs were winning a lot of games. And so there were signs that were like a motto. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We've waited 108 years. It's zit. This is finally here. Even if you're not a Cubs fan, are you a Vikings fan? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You've been waiting for ever. It's going to happen. It might be. You're really good this year. It might be your year. And when it did happen, the reason this picture was taken in the wee hours of the morning, the game went in extra innings, there was a rain delay, it was late, all those things happened. 
we were not sitting in these really great seats. We were two rows from the top and left field. But it was incredible. The greatest sports fan experience in my life. And after the game, all the Cleveland fans left. And all the Cubs fans stayed. And we all migrated down to the lower ring, the lower level. And there were, conservatively, 10,000 of us. After the 30,000 Cleveland fans went home. And we were singing and praising the Lord. <laughs> with hymns like, Go Cubs, go! Go Cubs, go! Singing at the top of our lungs. And bonding with people we didn't even know. So we took this picture and, and everybody's like, Hey, let me hold your pillowcase. I want to get a picture with that one. So we passed it around. But I wanted to take this one because here's the prophecy and here's the fulfillment. There will come a day when you and I will see each other in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to say, I told you. <laughs> see? It's going to happen because you have faith. Because you put your trust in a God who makes promises and keeps them every single time. And says, I love you so much I didn't just make you, but I sent a savior into this world. To overcome your sin forever. And to overcome your death forever. And to kick down the door to heaven for you. Not because you're so great, or because you've got it perfect, or because you've got your morality all lined up just so, or because you've fixed the whole world all by yourself. But because I'm God. And I say you can jump. And I've never let you die before. And I will be with you, because even when you die in this sinful, fallen, messed up world, I will resurrect you so that you will never die again. We're going to have that party. But this is Advent. That's Christmas. We're waiting now. And even when we're hurting, the waiting is, is a gift. Romans 5 says, we can rejoice. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials and have sufferings. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Like the marathon runner who trains and pushes herself or himself to the limit so that they can run the marathon to their full potential. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not lead to disappointment because it's well-placed. Because it's in a God whose words are timeless and true. And those words are here for you today. Soak them up and have communion with God. Come and get it. Come and receive the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But don't just go through the motions of getting in line and tasting it and leaving and going and doing your thing and moving on to more important things today. This is it. This is the communion with God. This should be top of your list. I mean, if you want to have the best Christmas ever, if you want to live your best life, this is a glimpse. This is a taste of it. This is hope. And it does not lead to disappointment. Christmas is coming. I purposely, um, I got you a gift. Yeah, it's for all of you. It's in this box Wrapped it up, well, my wife wrapped it up, and, and, and put the bow on it. And we, we've got it all prepared and ready. And I'm going to leave it here on the altar until Christmas Eve services. It's totally worth the wait. I assure you, it's worth the wait. Now, you can sneak up and open it and look inside. And if you do, you'll be excommunicated and kicked out of this church. <laughs> I hear rumors that last night's band opened it up and took a look. They'll be disciplined this week. <laughs> but it'd be better for you if you could wait. 
we're not going to open it yet. On Christmas morning, years and years and years ago, one of our little kids, I won't tell you which one, but he's the campus pastor in Ames now. He, <laughs> he was always the first one up on Christmas, always super excited. He'd run downstairs, hey, can we open presents now? And my first, like, reaction was always, I just preached 92 Christmas Eve services. <laughs> we'll get up at noon, and that's when we'll open the presents. But we would get up. But on this particular morning, he got up before everybody, and he didn't even come in to wake his mom and me up. But I heard a noise, and so I came out, and I saw him, and he's sitting, you know, with his legs crossed in front of the Christmas tree, this big smile on his face, just looking at all the presents. I said, Danny, what are you, oh, I gave it away. (laughs) Oh, well, it's true. I said, Danny, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you just staring, staring at the presence with a big smile on your face? He goes, Dad, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. This is so exciting. I, I think one of these presents is going to be what I always wanted. It is. Whether you realize it or not. It's what your soul has always wanted. And it's for you. God's got your name on it. I think one of these presents will be what I always wanted. He says, but you know what? I said, yeah, but you haven't opened it yet. You're, you're smiling now. Do you, do you think? He goes, but I'm just happy to see it all. I'm just happy to, what he was saying is I'm, I'm happy to have this hope. Because I trust the gift givers. I think they heard me. And I think they're going to come through. And that's hope. Have you heard God? He's given you his word. He's going to come through. That's hope. Take a look. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. The tricky clock tick tocking, each painfully long minute unlocking. The tumbly jumbly can't close your eyes feeling. What will it be? When will it be? Oh, the anticipation, the watching, the wishing and waiting to let the wiggles and giggles and goosebumps go to find, to see, to finally know. What will it be? When will it be? Oh, the expectation, the what-ifs, the oh-mys fairly shaking, longing for this night's joy all year, that moment of hope so very near. Oh, but would they? Could they imagine a gift so great, a gift that compelled the whole world to wait? When a heavenly Father gave all mankind his Son, the one love defined. The magic of Christmas is more brilliant, you see, than a bag or a box tucked under a tree. The true love of Christmas really began when holy God became holy man. Holy God becomes holy man. Emmanuel, God becomes one of us. Child of God, this is Advent. It's a time of waiting, but did you notice those kids' faces? It's not just joy once you receive and open up the gifts. It's joy because you have hope. It's joy now, before life gets perfect. 
before all the other boxes get checked. It's joy in something deeper. And that will lead to your best Christmas ever. Turn it over to the campus pastors uh, for the Lord's Supper. Communion servers, I invite you to come to your stations, wherever you are right now. And we will get set for this very brief and very tiny and extremely powerful meal before we go home. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sin. Do this to remember me. So together we'll pray our table grace before the Lord's Supper. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Open your heart. Come and get it. Holy communion with God. Top of your list stuff so that you can experience not just God's promises, but the hope that comes along with it, and your hope is well-placed. Instructions, come forward if you're new. Everybody is welcome who believes in Jesus Christ. Take the bread and and eat that, receive it. Then take either the red wine, which is alcoholic, or the white grape juice, which is non-alcoholic, whichever is your choice, and receive that. If you'd like a gluten-free station, we have two of those over in the corners, uh, back toward the back. So go ahead and move there wherever you are. Otherwise, let the ushers direct you to the station. After you receive the bread and wine, uh, as you're here, you can worship, you can sing, you can pray. Stay as long as you want. There'll be prayer partners up front under the screens who will be happy to pray alongside of you, whatever it might be. But after you take communion, you're also free to go and welcome to clear out and go out and live. As people of hope, your hope is well-placed.